This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Tuesday, August the 23rd, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore discusses the third annual report on medical assistance in dying within Canada. Nelson Rago from Cool Blind Tech will describe new accessibility upgrades to the Google Workplace. Community reporter Dorothy McNaughton shares details about the upcoming fall rendezvous in Sault Ste. Marie. And it's a very special edition of the weekly news quiz. There will be no Karen McGee. She's in a meeting down the hall. Couldn't drag her in. Mike Ross will be quiz mastering. Mark Phoenix will be saying his goodbye to now with Dave Brown as he's moving on. And then we have a special contestant. Alex Smythe is going to be part of the quiz. So a little bit of musical chairs, as is the way on Now with Dave Brown. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky is due to testify today at the inquiry into the 2020 mass shooting in Nova Scotia. She's expected to be questioned about the force's review of its response to the killings and how it handled communications before the gunman was shot and killed. Lucky has told a parliamentary committee that she did not interfere in the investigation, but was frustrated with the Nova Scotia division because media were reporting facts about the shooting before RCMP released them. Switching gears where the premiers of the Maritimes and Ontario say a Team Canada approach is needed to find a solution for the healthcare crisis. Ontario Premier Doug Ford says any solution must draw on suggestions from nurses, doctors, heads of hospitals and the governments. We need to start sharing best practices, better ways of doing things. What, what are you hearing in New Brunswick? What are you hearing in PEI and, and in Nova Scotia? And, and really uh, support each other. That's never happened. I've ne- never seen everyone as coordinated and focused uh, for the entire country as we are now. New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs says improving health care will take a fundamental rethink. While we're talking about the medical world, following up on a story from yesterday, Moderna says the federal government has purchased 12 million doses of the company's bivalent vaccine that targets both the original strain of COVID and the Omicron variant. Laura Osmond has the story. Canada purchased 4.5 million new doses and pushed up the delivery date for the 1.5 million doses originally scheduled to arrive in Canada next year. The government and the company also agreed to convert 6 million doses of the company's original COVID-19 vaccine to bivalent doses. The agreement depends on Health Canada's approval of the bivalent vaccine, which is said to protect against both the original strain of the novel coronavirus and the Omicron BA.1 subvariant. Laura Osmond, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. And just a quick look at the COVID numbers. I gave them to you yesterday. We've seen another slight increase in active hospitalizations. 5,130 people currently in in hospital in Canada with COVID-19. A couple of, well, it's about six weeks ago, that number was below 3,000. So we have seen an increase over the course of the last month or so. While we're talking about vaccines, Pfizer is applying for an emergency use authorization in the United States for its updated COVID booster, Justin Finish has that story. 
Pfizer and BioNTech say their data show this latest vaccine produces a strong antibody response to the original virus and BA4 and 5 Omicron subvariants. The bivalent booster combines the company's original vaccine with a new formulation targeting subvariants. The Pfizer-BioNTech booster would be used in those ages 12 and older and could be ready for distribution as soon as next month, pending approval from the FDA and CDC. Justin Finch, ABC News, Washington. And let's get to a couple of climate stories here before we get to our daily polls. Motorists are being warned to stay off the roads after heavy rain caused flooding across the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jason Dunn of the U.S. National Weather Service says more than 230 millimeters of rain fell over a 24-hour period. Anytime you put two to three inches of rain an hour down on concrete, it just doesn't really have anywhere to go. Um, And then, you know, a lot of the underpasses, things like that, those quickly fill up with water. At least one death has been blamed on the downpour. And then as we shift over to Europe, a new study has found that Switzerland's 1,400 glaciers have lost more than half their total volume in less than 100 years. Researchers say ice volume shrunk by half from 1931 to 2016, then by another 12% in just the last six years. Reporter Jarni Keaton says the glacier retreat has widespread implications. This is going to have an impact on lifestyles, on the economy, on the way that people get water. In particular, for Switzerland, the concern is that Switzerland gets a good chunk of its energy sources from hydropower, which is, of course, linked to the runoff of water that comes down from the mountains. Switzerland's glaciers amount to about half of the total glacier area in the European Alps. And then one more story, the drought in Europe is revealing some new artifacts. Megan Williams has that story. Rome's historic Tiber River has revealed ruins built almost 2,000 years ago. Water levels have plummeted to a record low, exposing the remains of a bridge that might have been commissioned by the first century Emperor Nero. In northern Italy, World War II shipwrecks have emerged from the country's longest river, the Po. Climate change hasn't just caused the worst drought in decades, but also wildfires and storms. 13 people were killed last week in Europe, with two here in Italy from falling trees. High winds swept through Venice, blowing cafe umbrellas across St. Mark's Square and dislodging brickwork. Megan Williams, ABC News, Rome. All right, let's get to our daily polls. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Monday, we asked you, Finland's prime minister was caught on camera partying with friends during her vacation. How do you feel about politicians letting loose? 46.6% of you said, I support it. 51.7% of you said, no issue. And 1.7% of you said, I dislike it. We had some Twitter responses. Our friend Paul Daniel, who's now on vacation. Our producer and friend Paul Daniel is now on vacation. Enjoy your time off, Paul. He says, everyone is entitled to relax and let loose once in a while. Political figures are no different. So long as a person's conduct is not inappropriate or harmful, Anyone, including politicians, are allowed to party. And then our friend Studio Brock tweets in, I feel like this only became news because she's a young woman. How many powerful men do we question for doing normal human social activities? I think that's a fair point made by Brock, certainly bringing gender into this matters. But I will say in general, we tend to overly and hyper-target our politicians for pretty much anything. Remember when Barack Obama got in trouble for wearing a tan suit Like that was considered political controversy of the day. Sometimes the viewpoint of the individual criticizing the politician has more to do with why they're criticizing the politician than the actual individual action of a politician. At AMI Audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you 
Find us on Facebook. That's where you vote on polls. Share comments and, uh, you know, say nice things about Dave Brown. And then that way our bosses know that you like me. And then I get to stay on the air forever and ever. Or it can be the opposite. You can send negative things about me. Maybe they'll give me the boot. You never know. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Today we're asking you. This relates to the Switzerland Glacier story. But in general, this is a overarching concept of climate change. Has climate change impacted where you would like to travel? Yes or no? There's a lot of different ways you can take this question and take this answer. It could be offering a certain sense of urgency to see something before it goes away, to go somewhere before it becomes deeply impacted by climate change. It might also be something that says, I don't want to go there at all. Something's changing around there. It seems dangerous. I don't like that risk. For example, hurricane season becoming more intense in certain parts of the Atlantic. Maybe that means you don't want to go anywhere on the eastern seaboard or the Caribbean from August 1st till October 1st, which is just generally a good idea in hurricane season as a whole. But there's other factors, right? There's wildfires that are wiping out entire communities that maybe you wanted to visit and they're no longer there. There's, of course, the possibility of certain parts of Italy going underwater. I believe Venice is under significant possibility of going away as a result of rising waters and climate change. So there's all kinds of things that are occurring in the world that might impact what you are able to go experience and go see. That was a long preamble. Grace Scofield, what do you think? I'm actually going to take this in a totally different direction and not think about the physical landscapes or environment that I'm going to go visit, but think about my own environmental contribution while I'm in those places. Mm. I think that's changed the way that I travel and trying to be more sustainable, trying to be more environmentally friendly and making those choices when I'm out and about, you know, trying to be not as wasteful when I'm traveling bringing refillable water bottles, like really easy, sustainable choices that'll change the way that I travel and just go about my daily life. But I think that that's where climate change makes me think the most about traveling, not necessarily the places I want to see or I'm going to see, but what I'm going to do and how I'm going to contribute to that environment while I'm there. Mm, The place, the way you may impact a place. Yeah. There's been a lot of conversation about uh, people who go to campgrounds and just leave their garbage behind, right? They just go and they like basically destroy a campground, not destroy, but, but leave it littered and dirty and gross and don't respect the nature at all. People going to the beach and just leaving garbage all over the beach. How many uh, initiatives do you find in local places being like, we're cleaning up our beach because tourists mess this place up. That's a great point. Thinking about the impact of while you're there and what you're doing uh, when you're on the ground makes a ton of sense to me. Let's go over to Mike Ross. Mike, I know we talked about this a long, long time ago. When I say a long, long time ago, I think the show was still called Live from Studio 5. But how has climate change impacted some of your travel planning? I don't think it's it's impacted where I'm going. It's just impacted how I, I sort of prepare for it, right? Like, and, and we tend to, uh, well, okay, when I say we, I mean my wife uh, tends to do a lot of research uh, for where we're going. She's the, uh, the trip planner par excellence. And so she will dig into things that we're going to do. And more and more, it's digging into, all right, what's the temperature like when we're there? And we've experienced that now a couple of times, um, once in a trip to Spain, because we tend to travel only in the summer. Spain, and I mentioned this before, standing in the middle of Seville and watching the digital thermometer climb to nearly 44, 45 degrees Celsius. Uh, You mentioned Italy. We were in Venice with knee with water up to our knees in uh, San Marco Square. So it, it's just about being prepared for those trips 
And unfortunately for us, like when we've traveled to the Caribbean, it's always been at the beginning of hurricane season. So we're always, we've always rolled the dice on that and you take your chances. Nowadays, you've got travel insurance. So that, that comes into your planning. Maybe you want to pay that extra fee just in case that trip gets canceled. So I wouldn't say it necessarily has a huge determination on where we're going because I think climate change, I mean, it's affecting everywhere in different ways. So I think it just it just means that you need to plan your trip a little bit better and be prepared for whatever you may encounter while you're there. Mm, there you go. Staying on top of the way things are shifting. That makes a lot of sense through and through. Mike, we'll talk to you in a couple minutes for the big business story of the day. In the meantime... I want you to vote at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I also want you to listen very carefully to Grace Scofield as she gives you the national weather updates. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's some increasing cloudiness near noon with a high of 25. In Halifax, there's some showers, at times heavy, ending late this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunder shower early this morning, with a high of 24 degrees. In Montreal, there's some showers today, with a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon, with a high of 21 degrees. In Ottawa, there's showers today with a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon and also a high of 21 degrees. Oh, give me some of that 21 life. (laughs) Not today in Toronto, where it's mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 27 degrees. Sorry, Dave. I feel like I've been sweating for like six straight days. It is uncomfortable outside. (laughs) But like even inside, even like in air conditioned spaces, I've been it's sweating for like six straight it's days. It's very humid. I don't like it. It's not. Bring good. on fall. <laughs> in Thunder Bay today, it's mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a high of 23 degrees. Over in Winnipeg, some increasing cloudiness today with a few showers beginning late this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon as well with a high of 23 degrees. In Saskatoon, it's mainly cloudy, but that will clear up nearing noon with a high of 25 degrees. In Calgary, Alberta, showers with a risk of a thunderstorm today and a high of 19 degrees. Oh, forget Ottawa. Give me some of that Calgary. Wait, wait, it gets better after this one. In Edmonton, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 27 degrees. And in Yellowknife, Dave, you're going to like this one. A mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 17 degrees. Oh, it's borderline hoodie weather. (laughs) In Vancouver, BC, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 24 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 23 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up after the break, we welcome Mike Ross back into the show. Mike has the big business story of the day. And I've got your opportunity to win some stuff, win a goodie box. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Ooh. 
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There's going to be a lot of business for you in this segment. Let's start with Mike's big business story of the day. Mike, this trip by the German Chancellor is producing all kinds of promises and deals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let, let's see what else we can get out of them while he's here, right? I mean, these, these tremendous uh, opportunities here for Canadian business. We talked yesterday about an agreement over uh, the production of hydrogen energy and sort of he sort of poo-pooed that a little bit yesterday in the in the, the big business story in that in order to make that energy happen, there needs to be massive infrastructure construction. However, today's story, you don't need a lot of infrastructure building. There's a lot of it is already built into the Canadian economy. We're talking about the federal government being poised to sign agreements with both Volkswagen and Mercedes-Benz on supplying raw materials for batteries in electric vehicles. So we're talking about cobalt, graphite, nickel, and lithium that uh, are used in the battery construction for the German electric vehicles. Now, these are all elements that are here in Canada. They're mined in Canada. And this is an agreement that comes not only uh, on the heels of an announcement by Germany, but also a week after U.S. President Joe Biden signed a plan to provide tax credits in the United States for electric vehicles to be produced there. So kind of some good news here overall. Uh, when we're talking about the Canadian uh, business world, the Canadian mining industry, and the just pushing forward of that green agenda and that that, that electric vehicle uh, power that Canada says we're ready to take on. We've already seen it in a, a town about 15 minutes east of where I am right now in Oshawa, Ontario, where they've converted a General Motors plant from a a, a gas and and fuel-powered vehicle plant into a plant that is building green vehicles. So there is our, we do have the ability to do this. We have the infrastructure already in place. It's just about putting in some of these kinds of deals with the the batteries in mind, because Mm -hmm. really, Dave, that's what's slowing the 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 common use of uh, electric vehicles, especially in a country like Canada, where we have such a cold climate for so many months of the year, that impacts the batteries. So there's a lot of research being done here. And so the Germans are jumping on this opportunity mm-hmm. to make a deal. In the meantime, we have the raw resources to do some exporting to more densely populated mm-hmm. places that don't have the same kind of uh, winter conditions for sure. Uh, Mike, the the poo-pooing that occurred yesterday, I'm afraid that I have to throw some cold water. Not on this story Uh specifically today, but just while we're talking about electric vehicles, because it does seem every day as I'm going through the newswire, there's more and more stories about electric vehicles. And this one, unfortunately, involves some job losses. So let's listen to some sound here. Ford Motor Company is laying off thousands of office workers as they're making a transition to more EV production. Derry Albiger explains. Ford Motor Company says it's cutting 3,000 white-collar jobs. The reductions, which amount to about 6% of the company's workforce in the U.S. and Canada, include 2,000 full-time salaried positions, along with 1,000 contract workers. Some workers in India will also lose jobs. It's part of a cost-cutting plan to help Ford make the long transition from internal combustion vehicles to those powered by batteries. The company's 56,000 union factory workers will not be affected. Daria Albinger, ABC News. 
I find that it, that story is so interesting, Mike, because they're saying, oh, we're doing some cost cutting while we make this transition. It really makes me wonder, and I tried to dig into this a little bit this morning, why are these individual office workers somehow not capable of being part of that transition? I, I wonder if it could just be them laying off some older workers or, 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 or people who they feel uh, no longer fit in sort of their modern model. But it does seem a little bit like a strange justification. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um I uh, at one point knew a, a really high-ranking official at General Motors, and the one thing I learned in speaking to him about uh, you know some companies' business models in the automotive sector is there was a lot of you know quote unquote fat at the top. There were a ton, as, as you heard Daria say in the story there. A lot of white collar workers, right? Executives, uh, and a lot of management, and a lot of layers to that management. So it doesn't surprise me that they're able to sort of cut back at the top rather than uh, you know hit the people that are out there on the on the factory floor on the assembly line actually assembling these vehicles. This is something we've heard about for a long time. Maybe this is the start of a bit of a shift, right? Because yeah. let's face it, there are a lot of companies that have been accused over many years of having tr- t- way too many layers and have spending way too much money on their executives <laughs> and, and not saying that they don't work for it, but that, that there's just too many layers to that onion and that not enough attention is paid to the workers, yeah. the people that are actually on the floor, you know, with the calloused hands, putting those those parts together. So um, I'm not at all surprised that in this case, this first move is being made at the top as far as you know, not being surprised because I know that they can afford to, to make those cuts. Where I am a little bit surprised is that they've done it because Dave – all we've heard for years and years and years is those cuts always happen to the guys at the bottom, the women mm-hmm. at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's not never the people at the top that are getting getting cut. Too many managers and not enough, uh, not enough sometimes. workers. Sometimes that uh, sometimes that happens for sure. The other thing, and that they, I, and they the cost thing, a lot of money, right? Yeah. The other thing that I wonder as well is maybe there's some institutional knowledge here that says you've got older engineers who don't understand the engineering mm. around the green models or around the EV models who just don't have the capacity or, or, or unwilling. Maybe they've maybe they've dug, dug their feet in the ground for years and said, no, 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 electric vehicles are not the future. Well, if you clash with upper management on that front, uh, they're going to say bye-bye. Uh, Mike, we have to say bye-bye for the moment, but we'll talk to you again for the regional news update in a couple of minutes. But while I'm here and talking to you, I want to remind you, that we're giving away some goodies, some kitchen goodies and food goodies to celebrate season two of Dish with Mary, of course. That show is available Tuesday nights on AMI-tv. Mary Mammoliti taking you on a food journey, a culinary journey. Well, she wants to share some of that with you. She's prepared a very special box here with some really nice artisan items that we're going to be handing over to you. So we start with some artisan pizza and pasta flour that's gluten-free, Apparently, it's absolutely delicious. We have some beautiful artisan tomato sauce, fresh tomato sauce. We have a bottle of extra virgin olive oil, some Vancouver Island sea salt to make sure you're getting just the right seasoning and flavor in that food. And then, of course, a pasta and pizza cutter so you can make some nice shapes on your way through. So there is some really Good stuff available in this box. I'm telling you, you want it, you need it. You've got to get your hands on it. 
So to enter the contest, first and foremost, you must be over 18 and from Canada. And you have to share with us one of your own favorite recipes or a favorite recipe memory. Okay, well, where do we share that? Feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca. You almost make your own little food blog. You tell us why you need this very bougie box of goodies. Feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca. The deadline to enter the contest is August 26th at 5 p.m. Eastern time. August 26th at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Feedback at ami.ca. And the winner will be announced right here on this show next Monday, August the 29th. So feedback at ami.ca is the email address to enter the contest and, you know, share whatever other thoughts you have about the show along the way. Coming up next, accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore discusses the third annual report on the state of medical assistance in dying in Canada. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's largest stock index saw another day of triple-digit losses Monday. The S&P TSX Composite Index was down 136 points Monday at 19,975. In New York, the Dow Jones was down 643 points at 33,064. The S&P 500 was down 90 points at 4,138, while the Nasdaq was down 324 points at 12,382. Japan's Nikkei dropped 342 points to close at 28,453. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index was down about 230 points before close at 19,427. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 76.65 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Jovesky. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Health Canada has released its third annual report on medical assistance in dying. Accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore joins us now to summarize the report and share some of the reaction. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. So, Megan, let's start here. Why did you want to take a deeper dive into this report? Well, besides just taking one for the team on reading through government jargon, Uh, This report is the first one that takes into account what happened with medical assistance in dying after Bill C-7 was passed in 2021, which, as um, our audience knows, expanded the eligibility uh, criteria for those who can receive me. Um, So this data that we'll be looking at is from 2021, and it's the first one that takes into account uh, this landscape after C-7. So the overall summary, in 2021, there were 10,064 made deaths in Canada, which accounts to 3.3% of all deaths in the country. That also brings the total of people who've died by made since 2016 to 31,664. Uh, and we've seen increases every year and pretty much in every jurisdiction, except in the Northwest Territories and Nunavut, where there's no numbers of made deaths reported in those jurisdictions. Um, That doesn't mean that individuals who live there haven't received made. They may have gone elsewhere, but there's no reporting um, 
from those jurisdictions. The main causes of suffering that have been reported are a loss of ability to engage in meaningful activities or perform activities of daily living. Also, main one continues to be isolation. 17% of individuals who um, received May did report isolation and loneliness as uh, one of their reasons for seeking MAID. And then what makes this uh, particularly pertinent to us in talking about a post-C7 context is in 2021, there are 219 individuals who died of MAID whose natural death was not considered reasonably foreseeable. And that would account to 2.2% of individuals who did die of MAID. Of those 2.2% of people, 43% of them required disability supports of some kind, and 87.4% of those who needed disability re supports received them before their death. So that's the quantitative data of people whose death mm -hmm. was not reasonably foreseeable, foreseeable. What else did the report have to say about them? So the most reported medical condition was neurological. That's 45.7%. And neurological, that would include things like ALS, or multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, that sort of thing. That's significant because when you look at the individuals who died under track one, so those whose natural death is reasonable foreseeable, that's the language of the criminal code, the most common uh, cited medical reason or underlying condition is cancer. Uh, neurological conditions comes later on that. For those whose natural death is not reasonably foreseeable, neurological conditions is number one. Uh, the second, condition was just other. So it doesn't really tell us exactly what it is. So it'll be like neurological conditions, but other, then you'll go down into things that are like cardiovascular or cancer. Um, but other is a fairly large category. I think uh, more than 30% um, classifies that. And then also people are younger in the category of those who are dying, whose death is not uh, reasonably foreseeable. So um, there's about average age of 70 as compared to uh, the track one, which would be an average age of 76. And more than a third of individuals who died under this track two, for those whose natural death is not reasonable foreseeable, were between the ages of 18 and 64. So 37% of them were between the ages of 18 and 64, are quote unquote working age Canadians. And that's compared to 16.7% in track one who were between the ages of 18 and 64. Let's jump into some of the reaction from disability advocates. What was some of the reaction to people you spoke with? Sure. So one of the things to understand when you read this report is that the way the report is written is it's um, you could argue that the report itself is very um, takes a very positive, favorable approach to MAID and that it would say that accessing MAID is a good thing. Any challenges that an individual may face and receiving it is a bad thing. And the way you can tell that is through the adjectives that are chosen. I'm going to go back to grammar school. Um, a government reports look at how people describe things. So, for example, I just mentioned that 37% of individuals in track two are between the ages of 18 and 64. That's described in the report as a slight increase over those in track one. It's actually more than 20%. Um, so it's more than a, a, a slight increase. So that said, in general, a lot of the reaction that you're going to hear from disability advocates is critical of the, of the report's language, critical, critical of some methodology things. And in general, we'll argue that the report raises more questions than answers. Uh, so, for example, I spoke to Catherine Frazzi, who is a professor emeritus at Toronto Metropolitan University and a disability advocate, and she raised concerns about how 
fast the number of people uh, receiving aid has increased, and here's what she had to say. What does it mean that we have seen these unprecedented rates? What is it about Canada's system that they've seen in advance at rates that far exceed the other few handful of jurisdictions that are applying made. And we really have to ask ourselves what that is. Is it that um, we have taken a more liberal approach to the law? Is it that we are indeed euthanizing people who should be alive today? Is it that doctors are, are becoming too liberal or too comfortable? in the practice of uh, ending a person's life um, upon request? Um, is it because uh, Canadians are giving up hope for a better life, for the possibility of holding on to dignity and uh, some measure of comfort and meaning in their life? Uh, and that we're giving up on that, that uh, prospect uh, more and more easily, more and more readily, now that we have this um, opportunity to end our lives early. Like we really need to examine what are the forces that are driving this really rapid escalation in the use of made as a life-ending strategy. So, Megan, we heard Catherine say there, we want more examinations. So what specific specific information would advocates like to see? So uh, more exact information about what disabilities and medical conditions individuals have. Again, the category of other um, is very broad. Like, can we kind of break that down a, a bit? Um, and also more information about where individuals are living before they die of made. So there's information about where people are when they receive it. Um, specifically, are you are you at home? Are you in a hospital? But we don't know where people were living when they requested it. Um, and in some cases that have been fairly widely publicized in recent months when the housing has been an issue. Um, I spoke to Natalia Hicks from Inclusion Canada, and she really emphasized that um, uh, that other category is typically in a pie chart that would be like your last little sliver. Uh, here it's number two. So that shows that there's a lot more uh, that needs to be done in terms of pointing out what falls into that category. Um, and then also Catherine Frazzi points out that the information about the number of MAID practitioners uh, could be better described. Um, there is a portion where the report will break down if a, if a healthcare professional who administers made, like did they give, how, how many times did they do this in the last year? So you're given three options, either they did it once, either they did it between two times and nine times, or they did it more than 10 times. Uh, but that, like, what if there's a few doctors who are doing it dozens of times, right? That's not really shown in the data when your highest number there is 10. Um, it doesn't really help you break down who is who is administering this and when and why, that sort of thing. And what else would they like to see in reports moving forward? Sure. So 
government has actually already announced that beginning next year, they will be including more data specifically in, in regards to gender, race, indigenous status and disability. Um, and when I spoke to Natalie Hicks from Inclusion Canada, she said that it's important for the government to capture more data on what is causing people to want to access MAID and to dive it and to, and as she put it, like, we know that people's suffering is so much more complex. So even if you're saying, you know, what type of disability somebody may have, try to bring that out, try to show the more nuance there. And also she talked about how it may actually be um, instructive for the public if there's an element of self-reporting. So a lot of the reporting that, actually all the reporting, that this report or these other Health Canada reports draws on all comes from the medical profession. It comes from practitioners who administer MAID and they describe their different um, patients and what, they, what their life was like before they died, but we don't actually hear from the individuals who died. Uh, so there is a call to actually have individuals, um, if they choose, give a public self-report. And then Catherine Frazzi also explained a little bit more of what individuals may need to know. Well, um, at the very least, we need to know much more about the reasons that people have, that those people wanted to die. And we want to know much more and much more granular detail about the conditions of the lives that they were willing and eager to surrender. Um, so, you know, were they living in abject poverty? Were they facing uh, a, a forced move to an institution that they feared more than anything? Uh, were they uh, suicidal? Were they survivors of profound um, abuse or trauma? Were they people who could have been much better helped by the mental health support system or by uh, in-home personal supports or by technology that would help them communicate or by pain management? You know, what? are the things that, what are the systems that actually failed these people and made them want to die? Megan, what are doctors saying about, or some doctors saying about the administration of MAID? Right. So I know um, when I'm doing reporting on areas related to disability and the medical system, there for some individuals, there's a lot of fear around accessing the medical system. Um, and there are some doctors who are uh, concerned about the number of individuals with disabilities um, uh, seeking or requesting made as a result of these social concerns. Uh, so the following statement was sent to me by Dr. Ramio, uh, sorry, Romano Kaleo, who um, uh, is with an organization from uh, Mad to Made, and it's, this is endorsed by over a thousand physicians and the statement reads and starting, as physicians, we continue to express grave concern over the shocking, the, over the skyrocketing number of cases of medically assisted death as described in the third annual report of medical assistance of dying in Canada 2021. The removal of safeguards and experience of eligibility for administered death to those who are not dying under Bill C-7 has created an ableist system that puts vulnerable Canadians at risk of wrongful death. This is evidenced by the myriad media stories of people being offered death or given death instead of the necessities of life, such as housing, supports, and medical care. Health Canada claims it is responsible for improving the health and life of Canadians. 
This should involve ensuring Canadians can access the basic resources needed to live rather than promoting policies that encourage suicide. Megan, you've been on this beat for a long, long time. What are you hearing from people as you report on this? One of the topics that I actually think uh, would be interesting for me personally to actually do a little bit more digging into is the role that pain management and access to different pain medications plays into this. So uh, there's uh, chronic pain is one of the reasons that some will give for requesting or considering made. And there are concerns there about which medications are available to people. So in, um, I would argue, a well-intended desire to respond to a very real addiction crisis, um, does that then put some individuals who are not addicts but need stronger pain medication at risk for not receiving the medication that they need? So chronic pain and the systems around management for that continues to be a big um, concern for people. Obviously, um, income supports. I know there's been people on this program recently talking about talking about that. that that's always always there. Um, and then also this whole existential feeling of what is it like to live with a disability in this country with uh, made for those whose death is not reasonably foreseeable hanging over your head? And what does that do to somebody's mental health just in general as they're considering what it means to live a life with a disability? Megan, we're really tight for time here, but what's on the radar in terms of what's coming down next in regards to made policy and analysis? Right, so there is a special joint committee right now that is um, considering uh, further concerns with MAID, including the state of palliative care, uh, supports for individuals who have disabilities, MAID for mature minors, mental illness, advanced directives, all of that. That final report is, is expected in October, and we can expect to see changes to reporting in the next year and a bit. And before we say goodbye, Give me the 30-second note on the newest edition of Connecting Disability podcast. That is a great pun, Dave, because the latest episode does deal a lot with music and how that can uh, relate to our experience with disability. Our guest is Ian Walker, who's an arts administrator, playwright, author, and he also shares some very personal stories about what happens when boy band fans reach middle age. (laughs) That's fair. Good point. Megan, thank you for this. We got to go. All right. Thanks. Have a good day. That's Megan Gilmore, accessibility reporter. Coming up next, Dorothy McNaughton will stop by. She'll share some details about the upcoming fall rendezvous in Sault Ste. Marie. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head into Sault Ste. Marie to catch up with community reporter Dorothy McNaughton. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. Good morning, Dave. So, Dorothy, you want to give us a bit of a recap on an event that you attended? It was the uh, de Havilland Beaver event that you attended, the 75th anniversary of the Bush Plane. So, how'd it go? Oh, it was wonderful. Um, it was just so neat. I, I love going to that place anyway, but it's it's a great big hangar with uh, all kinds of planes in it. And then they had the doors open to the outside, so some of the activities went on outside at, at the back, right on the St. Mary's River. It's just a, a lovely location. 
any any highlights of the event? Oh yes. Well, um, you know the 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 very first uh, De Havilland Beaver that was produced is there. It's the CF OBS. It's one that my dad uh, flew in, not as a pilot, but as a passenger up and down the James Bay Hudson Bay coast. So. It has a lot of special memories for me. And uh, they had a gentleman playing Punch Dickens, who was the man who was in marketing sales at de Havilland at the time. Uh, th- these planes were first produced in 1947. So he went around to pilots, bush plane pilots, and talked to them about what features they wanted in a plane. And that's how they developed the design of that beaver. So it's really unique. Um, and they were only in production for 20 years, but they produced uh, 1,657 planes. Um, a lot of those went to the American military, but it was nifty because they have doors that open on both sides. So depending on which side of the dock you were on, you could get uh, people and and freight in and out really easily. And they're they're either float, ski, or wheels. Very cool. Well, Dorothy, I'm glad you enjoyed the event. I know you were looking forward to it. Well, now that event is in the past. It's in the rearview mirror, but we look ahead to the fall when there's another event on your radar, and that's the fall rendezvous in Sault Ste. Marie. So what does this particular rendezvous highlight? Okay, it's at at the Ermatinger Klerg National Historic Site, which is where the old stone house is, and I've talked about that quite a bit. Um, They have really neat activities going on there. So this is September 21st to 24th, give, give people lots of notice to sort of plan their day to be there. Um, on the lawn outside, they have tents erected and everything, but they have a reenactment of the War of 1812 with uh, people in period costumes. They have um, people in these um, buckskin jackets and moccasins and and I like the part where they're shooting off muskets. That's kind of neat. <laughs> that's a sonic. That's a sonic experience, right there. It certainly is. What, what What else is on the agenda for locals to enjoy? Uh, they do cultural activities. They call it living history, which I think is really neat. So they talk about the history. They talk about, um, you know, what happened during the War of 1812 in the area, and uh, it's it's fascinating. And there's lots of activities going on there. Um, you know, they they haven't got a lot of details yet, but it's kind of this similar year after year, and uh, it it's it's free, which is great, and it's. Uh, and it's outside, and uh, it's it's in a great location too, right downtown. It's by the water, not far from the waterfront. It's really accessible, um, so I think that's really important. The low, low price of free ninety nine. We <laughs> yes, like that yes, one through yes. and through, Dorothy. Uh, there are some links here in terms of where folks can learn more, but they are quite long. So what we'll do is we'll share them on the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now blog, ami.ca slash now blog. Dorothy, just the other day, I was hanging out with some friends and talking about how much we love the Toronto Public Library. And there's so mm-hmm. many folks around so many communities across the province and across the country and across the world who really depend from depend on great services from their public libraries. Well, you wanted yes. to offer up some insight on the visiting library service that's offered by the Sault Ste. Marie Public Library. So they're in the process of reinstating the service. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about it? Well, it's it's been around for quite a while, and there are lots of libraries <clears throat> excuse me, across the country who, who offer this service. It's for people that can't get out to the library. 
and even for SELA services, you have to be able to get your books back to the post office. Lots of people can't do that. So it's for people who are unable to get out and it it's a delivery service. So every four weeks, um, someone comes to the door with your books or your CDs or your Daisy books, and then you can listen to them and they come and pick them up out for four weeks later, a month later. Um, it's and the people who deliver the books are all volunteers. So it's it's um it's a wonderful service because I, I had a friend who um she was really frustrated at not being able to read when she lost her vision. And uh, she was uh, really excited to be able to try out uh, the books on disc. And, you know, that's the thing is people can try it. There are also um, Daisy machines available for being loaned out at the library. So if the person fills out the form and um, or gets a family member or friend to help, gets it into the library, you can, uh, you can borrow a Daisy machine, which of course plays not only Daisy books, but regular books on CD, and they can try it out. And then you get to choose what kind of books you want from a category. So uh, there's a whole variety of books you can try and listen to. And I think it's just a wonderful service over and above what CELA offers. Did you find it was fairly easy to use and did your friend find it was fairly easy to use? Well, unfortunately, she passed away before she, oh, she could use the visiting library service because it was during COVID that um, we filled out the form and everything. However, I know other people that have used it and love it. And, um, you know, it's <clears throat> because when you lose your vision, as you know, you, you aren't able to read regular books. And a lot of avid readers um, are very discouraged. And, you know, when they say, well, I can't read books anymore. Well, so, you know, I, I really promote the library services, as you know, whether it's this service, the visiting library service or SELA, because it doesn't have to be the end of reading. That's what I say to people. You just read in a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. I agree with you through and through, Dorothy. Well, in this case, I am going to give the phone number, but there's going to be more information on the blog after the show at ami.ca slash now blog. But the phone number, I'm going to say it a couple times. So if folks want to either jot it down or grab the smartphone and they're in the Sioux neck of the woods, 705-759-5236. That's the Register reference and information desk at the library, 705-759-5236. And all that information is going up on the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now blog. Hey, Dorothy, always nice to catch up. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. That's Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie. And I'll give you the blog address one more time, ami.ca slash now blog to learn more. Let's wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. The Federal Treasury Board says it has no plans to expand a bonus they pay to bilingual employees to those who speak an Indigenous language. Stephanie Taylor has the story. The bilingualism bonus, an extra $800 federal employees receive a year for speaking both English and French, should be expanded, say some Indigenous language speakers. Last year, senior public servants discussed the expansion as a possible way to deal with language concerns coming from some Indigenous employees. Chris Aylward, national president of the Public Service Alliance of Canada, says the union is pushing to see a new allowance introduced for Indigenous language speakers. Stephanie Taylor, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. You know, know, there's a bunch of reasons why you could reach out to the show. We start the show every day with the Daily Poll. So you can find us at AMI-audio on Twitter and Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. That's where you can vote on a singular question and share your thoughts. 
But there's also the reason to give feedback to the show when you hear someone like Megan Gilmore reporting on medical assistance and dying. And there is a lot of feedback that people with disabilities want to offer there. So at that point, you can send emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or give us phone calls, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Maybe that's either to react to the story that Megan brings you or to say, hey, Megan, there's this disability or accessibility-related story in my neck of the woods that I want you to take a closer look into. So you can do that as well at feedback at ami.ca or 1-866-509-4545. Or you can use the email address to enter the contest that I was telling you about. The box of kitchen goodies to celebrate season two with Dish with Mary. Feedback at ami.ca. So there's so many reasons for you to reach out the show. And I'm genuinely curious. Why aren't you? What are you doing instead? This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, August the 23rd, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, there are some accessibility upgrades to the Google Workplace. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will have that information. Then we have a very special edition of the weekly news quiz. Mike Ross is hosting, so that's standard, although always exceptional. I'll be a contestant. That's also standard and rarely exceptional. Mark Phoenix will be here. It'll be his last ever news quiz appearance as he moves on to something different and somewhere different. He'll share a couple details for you on that one. And we'll also be joined by Alex Smythe, AMI-TV bureau reporter, who also has some exciting news that maybe we can talk about on the show. Who knows? I'll just pretend. I'll pretend like I don't know anything, even though I know many, many, many things. Someone who knows many things as well is Mike Ross. He has the regional news updates. Oh, Mike, either you're on mute or we have you muted. You're a to- Dave, you're, you're, a, you're, a tome, you're a tome you of knowledge. Never... You're, you're a tome of knowledge, but you might have been on mute. I said we will never tell, Dave. We will never tell. <laughs> the vault. Never. Keep it in the vault. It's in the vault. Let's begin in B.C. And the B.C. Public Service Agency says the Labor Relations Board has ensured that appropriate essential service levels are in place to allow the government to continue delivering critical services. The agency says in a written statement that it had made the most generous offer in at least 30 years with wage increases averaging up to 11% for B.C. General Employees Union workers over three years. But the union announced that it was imposing an overtime ban for all members except those working for the B.C. Wildfire Service during the current wildfire season. This new job action comes after the union set up pickets around liquor distribution outlets last week after issuing 72-hour strike notice on August 12th. To the prairies, Saskatchewan residents 18 and older will get $500 checks from the provincial government this fall. Premier Scott Moe announced the news in a tweet yesterday saying higher than expected oil prices have led to a balanced budget and that people in the province should benefit when prices for the resources which they own are high. Finance Minister Donna Harpower 
forecasted a nearly $500 million deficit for the year when she tabled the 22-23 budget in March. But the budget was based on natural resources being lower than they have been throughout the earlier part of this year. The head of Alberta's RCMP says the provincial government's proposal to form its own police force is hurting Mountie morale. Deputy Commissioner Curtis Zablocki says staff are concerned about their futures and the futures of their partners and their families. Justice Minister Tyler Shandro says a made-in-Alberta police force would provide better policing for all regions, including improved response times with the use of community detachments and larger hub. Zablocki says the Alberta government's proposed model is very close to what the RCMP already provides with its roughly 3,500 members. To Ontario, Western University says staff and students returning to campus next month will be required to wear masks in classrooms and have at least one booster dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. The London, Ontario University updated issued an updated policy that requires a booster dose, usually equivalent to a third shot, for students, employees and visitors to its campus. Western also says masks will be required in instructional spaces, except when someone is presenting, performing, facilitating or speaking to a group, a policy it says will be reassessed after Thanksgiving weekend. The policy comes weeks after the University of Toronto announced it would require those living in residence to have a booster shot and recommend all others keep their vaccinations up to date. And in the Atlantic region, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky is scheduled to testify today before the inquiry into Nova Scotia's mass shooting. Her testimony is expected to supplement her lengthy review with commission lawyers, and time has been allotted for her testimony to extend into Wednesday if need be. Lucky is expected to be questioned about the force's culture, its own reviews of how it responded to the killings, and how it handles communication with the public. The inquiry is looking at how 22 people were killed by a 51-year-old gunman on April 18th and 19th, 2020, and ways to prevent such an incident from reoccurring. And PEI fishers say they're seeing more sharks in island waters. Dalhousie University's researchers at the Ocean Tracking Network also say the number of shark sightings are increasing across the Maritimes. The head of the research network says it's not clear if the higher number of shark sightings is due to a growing population, changing ocean conditions, or climate change. Earlier this month, a shark was spotted in Cablehead, West PEI. And those are your top regional stories going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll talk to you in a little bit. But right now, let's chat with Jeff Ryman. He's here for the Sports Chat. Well, Jeff, y'all pinned me into the corner. It's time for requisite Blue Jays talk as they head into a series at Fenway Park. Yeah, I know. I know. I know, Dave. But I also do want to talk NHL and some NBA maybe later this week. Uh, Maybe some fantasy football. Maybe that'll tickle your fantasy. Now that I want to talk about. 
Yeah, I know. Well, well, I mean, we're... It, it's, it's not to say that I don't want to talk about the Blue Jays, Jeff. You just know my feelings yeah. about these things. It's that It's that like, there's this obsession in Canada. Oh, they're Canada's team. It's like, nah, man, there's so many people in Vancouver who like the Mariners. There's so many people in Winnipeg who like the Twins, right? That, like, they're Canada's team because it's shoved down Canada's throats. And I don't like being part of that problem. Well, you know what, Dave? Um, you know, th- there is a big season. We could talk about other teams. Uh, I-, I was. <laughs> um, but, you know, 162 games, you know, we're bound to talk about yeah, the Blue yeah, Jays no, at least once or twice a week. And it's uh, a marquee know, series. And, it, and it's a marquee series they're going into. Even if Boston's a little bit uh, underperforming this year, it's still a marquee time when Toronto and Toronto and Boston lock horns. For sure. And there's also playoff implications basically on the line probably for the rest of the year for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're still uh, in a wild card position. They're half a game behind Tampa Bay for that top wild card spot in the AL. So, you know, they're feeling pretty comfortable right now. And Dave, you know what? It, it kind of it's kind of a nice stretch if you're a Blue Jays fan, or at least it could be, uh, especially because their opponents over the next uh, couple of series aren't really in the playoff hunt. And of course, the Boston Red Sox, even though they're still hovering around 500, um, they're not really in that playoff picture. Well, out of a wild card position with only what five, six weeks to go left in the season. Yeah, so, is it, is it six um, games out? Are they six games out right now? Is that the official number I, in the AL wild, Boston, wild card race? Boston, I think, is eight games out of a uh, wild card position. I think. Um, I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to pull it up. Go for it. But but you have to fill about, a, you have to filibuster. Well, I do. This is going to be a, a fun series, like you said, Dave. You I mean in division rivals? Um, the Blue Jays just coming off of a very nice series against the Yankees. I know the Yankees have been reeling as of uh, you know since mid July or so, but nonetheless, the Yankees are still one of the top teams in baseball, and the Blue Jays got three or four games, so um, they're coming off of a of a, of a pretty good uh, series win there. They're trying to carry that momentum, and Dave, that bullpen for the Toronto Blue. Blue Jays has actually looked really, really good. Uh, basically, since the All Star break, collectively a 2.11 ERA, very nice. Um, Jordan Romano, obviously leading the way there with uh, some very nice appearances, has been an All Star through and through this entire season. So uh, the Blue Jays bullpen really getting it done. It's just they've again those starters, and you want them to be cohesive. They just really haven't been able to put it together. But nonetheless, a, a very nice series coming up here against the Boston Red Sox. So it is official six games back in the wild card race. So really if the Red Sox don't either sweep or at the very least take two of three in this series, I would say the playoff hopes are officially done because they are running out of landing strip at this point. So they, they definitely are going to be playing for their playoff lives. They've, as you use the word uh, hover, that's what they've done since the trade deadline. There were a lot of folks who thought, oh, they're going to trade their star slugger, J.D. Martinez. Oh, they're going to move on from uh, Xander Bogarts. And those guys are still in the fold. Then they ended up actually acquiring Eric Hosmer from the San Diego Padres as San Diego was making a bunch of moves to make room for Juan Soto and assumed they were going to get to Fernando Tatis back. But uh, no, he he yeah. popped positive on some Roidskis. But it, since Boston's made those trades, they've been able to somewhat hover around 500. 
and be very competitive. They had a weekend series with the Yankees about a week and a half ago where every game was a one-run game. So they, they were, they've been raising their game. They're trying to stay competitive. They're trying to stay alive. They have some teams to hop over to do that, but they know that certainly the Toronto Blue Jays can be vulnerable. I would be feeling better about the Blue Jays in this series, Jeff, if they had just finished the job on the four-game sweep of the Yankees this weekend. Because after Saturday, that Yankees team was melting down. Aaron Judge was publicly criticizing the team. Their manager, uh, Boone, was crit- was publicly criticizing the team. It looked like the wheels were fully falling off there. And then the Yankees had a nice win on Sunday. They had a nice win against the Mets last night. And it feels like the Yankees are back are back on track. So this is the thing that the Blue Jays, we've said all year, up and down, up and down, up and down down, up and down. And I really felt like they were building something there. And then they had a little nap on Sunday against the Yankees. So I feel like they can't go into this Boston series thinking, oh, we're so much better than these guys because Boston can light you up real quick. If you're not taking care of your business. Yeah. Boston's one of those kind of unusual teams. Basically everywhere that I've read has used the word lowly Boston Red Sox. And, you know, looking at the standings, I mean, like I said, they're hovering right around 500, which isn't, you know, necessarily ideal if you're in the playoff hunt, but it's not like they're atrocious. Like this team could definitely play spoiler. And like you mentioned, Dave, they're only six games behind uh, of a potential playoff spot. If they start going on a roll, uh, they can definitely make it. But um, nonetheless, the Blue Jays, you know, I think they're starting to pick it up. Um, Ross Stripling heading to the mound. We touched on him, I believe, last week, and he might be their most consistent <laughs> player uh, in, in uh, pitcher in their starting rotation. So, um, you know, I, I'm liking the chances here for the Blue Jays. Uh, but again, that cohesiveness, I want to see them uh, put together, you know, a string of a couple of good weeks because, like you mentioned, they've been really up and down throughout the course of the mm-hmm, season. And I mm-hmm. think that's really frustrated a, a bunch probably within their organization. And for sure, the fans, uh, from a fan's perspective, um, you know, you, 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 I, this whole year has sort of made you feel like you want a little bit more because of the taste you got last year uh, from the, the from missing, a, a the missing, the missing of the playoff taste. Missing of the playoffs, sure, but I'm I'm saying from more of an individual standpoint. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Vladdy Jr. having a solid, solid year, but it's not an MVP worthy type season. They also had Simeon last year, who was in the MVP discussion. You know, uh, Robbie Ray, like Robbie Ray, Cy Young. I mean, this yeah. is like Jeff. This is the thing. I, I, so many times in sports, expectations matter, and when yeah. when you go into the season where your own broadcaster, and that's fair because their broadcaster owns them, says. This is a World Series contender. This is a World Series contender. This is a World Series contender. And then the sports books, at least the Canadian ones, start buying into that too. Oh, this is a World Series contender. Slam dunk, easy opportunity. And like totally ignores the fact that a lot of talent went out the door last summer. And then you start dealing with the fact of, well, maybe a team that missed the playoffs shouldn't be considered automatically a World Series contender if they lost pieces. Maybe the Blue Jays grappling for a wildcard spot is actually the appropriate expectation, but nobody was willing to look at it realistically inside the Canadian baseball landscape. Yeah, and you look at their track record. They've made the playoffs what once with the 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 team that they you know the 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 core yeah. team that they have right now during and the weird it, 2020 playoffs where like yeah. everybody made it. 
Yeah, yeah. When they had what was like fifty percent of the teams make the playoffs, yeah. maybe even more. Um, and then they lost in the first round to Tampa Bay because they were reading off of a binder instead of going with their uh, baseball sets. But um, yeah, I mean, like their track record hasn't been there. Of course, I think people are just gambling on their potential, and I feel like at, at a certain point it was rightfully so. But yeah, I mean, those odds of them being World Series contenders uh, seemed uh, like a little bit. Two of a lofty expectations, I think. People were starting to buy it. I feel like I may have been guilty about that myself. Maybe more so, uh, I think they could have been contenders in the AL East. Um, you know, I thought they could be up there with the New York Yankees. Um, that, that definitely hasn't been the case as of uh, this year. But nonetheless, Dave, I mean, I, I think the expectations were uh, very high and almost rightfully so. I mean, they had a great year last year, minus not making the playoffs. Um, and like, like I said, they, they, they did make some some small adjustments at the trade deadline, bringing in some some guys to the bullpen, shifting players around, um, getting some more versatility throughout um, their, their, their lineup. So uh, I think the expectations were kind of fair, uh, you know, maybe more so in the middle of the season. But uh, yeah, I I'm, I feel like I'm just rambling on at this point about <laughs> <laughs> your filler. Uh, you, you're doing a little filibustering. I get it, Jeff. Like I'm 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 throwing a difficult it, question at you because it's one that like yeah. is 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 difficult for folks to wrap it, their heads around. That that this team is maybe is is probably going to make the playoffs, but it's not going to be an easy ride for them. They're not it, equipped to win a championship yet. It's just so hard to comprehend, Dave, because like on one hand, you think that this team has, you know, like I said, the potential is right there. I mean, they have seemingly everything that you would want in a playoff team, but they haven't proven it yet. Like, it's so hard to wrap your head around. Like, what is the major deal? <laughs> how come how come they can't get over the hump and they fire their manager midway through this season? That really hasn't done a whole lot for them either. So, uh, you know, it, Confusion, I guess, is, is a little bit of what's going on I think, in Blue Jays land the last couple of weeks. Uh, it, it's been a roller coaster of a ride, but hopefully, uh, you know, fingers crossed that they, they can, you know, at least make the playoffs and give us some excitement. You know, maybe a bat flip or two in the playoffs if should they get there. Well, maybe busting the brooms out at Fenway will uh, will bolster the case. And uh, folks can look forward to that one as the series gets underway tonight. Jeff, thank you for this. No worries, Dave. See ya. That's Jeff Ryman at the AMI Sports Desk. The Jays or in Boston, in Beantown, at Fenway, under the shadow of the Green Monster, just after 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight on Sportsnet. Grace Scofield is on the other side of the glass and has the national weather update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's some increasing cloudiness this morning with a high of 23 degrees. In Charlottetown, it's cloudy today with some showers beginning early this morning and ending this afternoon, then a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon, as well as a risk of a thunder shower with a high of 22 degrees. In St. John, there's some showers ending this morning, then cloudy with a 30% chance of showers and a high of 20 degrees. In Quebec City, it's cloudy with a 60% chance of showers and a high of 24 degrees. Today in Toronto, it's mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 27 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie today, it's mainly cloudy with a high of 22 degrees. 
Over in Brandon, Manitoba, it's cloudy with a few showers beginning this morning and a risk of a thunderstorm late this morning and this afternoon with a high of 22 degrees. In Regina, it's mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 24 degrees. In Lethbridge, Alberta, some showers or thunderstorms ending this morning, then mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers and a risk of a severe thunderstorm with a high of 22 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 21 degrees. In Whitehorse, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 22 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of showers late this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 30 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 24 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, Google Workplace has some accessibility upgrades. Nelson Rago has the details, but first... The rollout of Android 13 is underway. Here's Daria Albinger with Tech Trends. If you are currently on Android 12 and really anxious to update Android 13, you're not missing much. Android Authority C. Scott Brown says the update gives users more control over how apps send notifications. I think it's going to be really good for just the usability of Android and really cut down on notification fatigue. And now if you change your phone's wallpaper. That will change the color scheme of Android itself. So your, your system toggle buttons will be a color that matches your wallpaper or whatever. But your icons will also Brown says the changes mean Google is shifting away from trying to mimic Apple's iOS software. I think that Google has finally realized, like, wait a minute, no, we should lean into the difference of Android and really give people those options and give them that control. The update is available on Google Pixel phones now with other Android phones set to get the update in the coming months. With Tech Trends, I'm Daria Albinger, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech, is here to tell you about what's going on in the world of accessible technology. And Nelson is in Edmonton, Alberta. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, let's jump into your first story where James Madison University, go Dukes, recently hosted a group of high school students to try out Microsoft's Soundscape. So, Nelson, before we get into the purpose or the uh, objective behind this initiative, why were they bringing Soundscape to do this kind of testing? What is Soundscape? Uh, well, I mean, the whole idea was uh, just to make uh, higher education more accessible and, and more inviting to, to uh, potential students that are blind and partially sighted. Uh, that was really the objective of this project. So, um, and uh, and Microsoft Soundscape, um, we talked about this before. Uh, so it's it's a, sort of a, a GPS app, uh, so like a more of an ambient awareness app, uh, which let, lets you know like in 3D, uh, depending on the headset you have, uh, if you have a, a, like a 3D uh, headset, uh, sorry, like a, a 3D audio feedback and have a, like a stereo headset, um, like for example, you can use like AirPods uh, in this case, and it'll give you like that 3D audio effect uh, or spatial audio awareness uh, where something is in front of you or something is behind you. 
and you'll uh, do it by the voice and uh, ticks and, and bells uh, in the app. Um, so it's a pretty cool app uh, uh, to actually use. And and uh, it came out in the U.S. a couple of years ago, and it just uh, it's been in Canada for uh, for a while now. But uh, it's a very useful app, uh, and of course it's free. So that's the good thing about this app. Uh, so it's it's one thing that Microsoft has has been doing for accessibility and. And it's a, it's a very cool app, uh, especially for iPhone users. So you mentioned that uh, this was about trying to get more uh, blind and partially sighted kids comfortable on a university campus. What were they doing exactly? Uh, they were basically on the on the campus itself, and they were uh, walking around as if they were, uh, you know, being students. So they were going through the dorms, they were going through the, the hallways. Uh, they were they're learning to, uh, to use this app as if uh, they were actual students in the school. So... Uh, instead of like that first sort of uh, shock that you get on the first day uh, where you're surrounded by thousands of students and, and just everything's going on, it's so stressful. Uh, it's, it's sort of uh, like a little uh, pilot project that they, they uh, launched. And it's the first time they've actually done this in uh, Virginia. Uh, this is where the, uh, they demonstrated the app. Uh, so it's uh, it was, it was um, impressive. Uh, I'm not sure if they do that in Canada, uh, in the universities out here. Uh, this is the first time I've heard of them demonstrating at uh, uh, university level. I still don't know where the Wong building is on the McGill campus, and it's fine. I had a class there for an entire semester. We just borrowed notes from somebody else. Uh, Nelson, let's jump over to the world of Google, where they announced some accessibility upgrades to the Google Workplace. So what are some of these improvements they're rolling out? Well, one uh, main improvement that they're rolling out uh, is that uh, instead of having your accessibility features, um, you know, cross-platform, uh, they've actually personalized the features that uh, uh, you can have a specific uh, personalized settings um, for accessibility-wise uh, for each individual app for uh, slides, documents, and, and all their uh, uh, Google Works uh, products. Uh, so that's really uh, a big thing. <laughs> You'd think that they would have that, but uh, it's it's something that they've just... Uh, uh, recently launched, so that's that's good that they're they're actually doing that. So we're rolling this out between August fifteenth and August twenty ninth. So we're right in the middle of the rollout. But how would somebody actually yeah. activate the feature, or do they have to do any kind of activation? Uh, you you do actually have to uh, 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 change the settings. So so if you go into uh, the tools and then under accessibility, uh, you can actually uh, adjust your preferences uh, per app. Uh, so if, if you have a specific way that you want to deal with uh, documents or uh, another way you want to deal with the spreadsheet, uh, you just simply open up uh, the app and then you can actually uh, make your adjustments in there and sort of customize it uh, to, uh, you know, to make you personalized for, for yourself as a, you know, maybe a, a low vision user or someone using magnifier or, you know, someone in my case uh, use a screen reader. I'm very bad at reading, Nelson. Maybe I need some of these accessibility tools. Google Workspace, not Google Workplace. So I apologize for that for anybody who may be confused. Yeah, Nelson, thank you for giving us the update on that one. And you've got one more note for us today. It's your weekly tech tip. You want to tell me how to hard reset an iPhone. Yes, your your iPhone. <laughs> I think you're a Samsung user. Is that right? I am, so I don't need to worry about resetting my iPhone. But I do have an iPad, and it always baffles me on how to sort of operate some of the internal mechanisms on that. Oh, cool! You're halfway there. <laughs> uh, so uh, basically, with your iPhone, if you have troubles uh, starting it or actually restarting it, um, it's a nice little trick to have, uh, uh, and it's sort of a last resort that you want to do. You want you don't want to do this all the time. 
uh, it doesn't actually affect your your phone, but uh, uh, it will actually uh, uh, force your phone to actually do a, a restart. Um, and the quick tip for this is uh, simply uh, press your volume up quickly and then press your uh, volume down quickly and, and um, press and hold the side button. And uh, and then you're, uh, you'll see the, the Apple logo. Uh, in my case, uh, I hold it down for about 10 to 13 seconds. Uh, I'll have a Bluetooth headset, so I'll actually hear it disconnect. And then uh, you'll actually hear the uh, the voiceover uh, say like the the phone turning off, and then when it reboots, um, in my case, I'll get the haptic feedback that the phone's rebooted, and then the uh, Bluetooth headset uh, will reconnect, and then um, it'll take a little bit longer than like a regular uh, restart, uh, but uh, you'll you'll actually get that restart that you need, and if you're still not uh, able to to do that, then and that's when you have to call Apple and and deal with their uh, tech support people. So we start on our own and we eventually have to call the tech support people. But if our phone won't restart, we don't have a phone to do it, Nelson. How do we even get to these folks if we don't have our phone? Uh, Nelson, thank you for this. Have a great day. Great. Take care. That's Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech. Coming up after the break, Grace and I take a look at what's happening in the world of entertainment. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in Grace Scofield for the entertainment reports. Grace, I was joking with Jeff that once a week I get pinned into a Blue Jays corner and once a week you pin me into a Harry Styles corner. Absolutely. It's my goal and I have two weeks left, which means two more times, Dave, you've got to talk about Harry Styles. Which I'm happy to. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about how the Rolling Stone magazine named Harry Styles the king of pop and also their first global cover star. So he did an interview recently with the magazine that was just released on the weekend um, about his, it includes his relationship status, sexuality, fashion, and music. It was a great interview, but a bit of controversy has come up mm-hmm. over the fact that they named him the king of pop. Because that was previously Michael Jackson. Exactly. So moniker. Michael Jackson's nephew tweeted, there is no new king of pop. You don't own the title Rolling Stone and you didn't earn it. My uncle did. Decades of dedication and sacrifice. The title has been retired. No disrespect to Harry Styles. He's mega talented. Give him his own unique title. So that's fair. I think it's fair to say we can give Harry Styles his own unique title. I will say that perhaps some accusations surrounding Michael Jackson means that he's been uh, dethroned from the King of Pop. Like maybe we don't get to celebrate him in such glowing terms anymore. Yeah. I think that his art can stand as the King of Pop. The entertainment aspect of Michael Jackson, his career as an entertainer, can stand as the King of Pop. But I I do think that when you usher in a new age or a new era of entertainment and music, you can usher in new people into these titles. Yeah, so the Michael old king Jackson is dead, was the king the of king. pop of his time. And yeah, well, music's still great. Maybe there's some time for some new people. And just because I'm a massive Harry Styles fan, I'm not just trying to be like, yeah, give the name to Harry <laughs> okay. Styles. Okay, so let's let's actually do this, Grace. Let's actually do this because I would argue that maybe it's still a little bit early on, particularly in his solo career. To call Harry Styles the king of pop, there's no doubting the success of One Direction. I, I don't know if I could actually name you an individual Harry Styles song. That that said, I'm not like bumping up and down the pop radio, so I don't I don't quite know all the jams. 
But I would suggest that perhaps longevity has to play some part in this. So if I were to posture or postulate that perhaps Bruno Mars or Justin Timberlake were the king of pop, would you grapple with me? Would you throw hands? So I do believe the Rolling Stone has tried this before with Justin Timberlake to name him the new king of pop. And this was like early, like a while ago. Yeah. Well, I agree. Harry Styles has three solo albums. Not really the same legacy yet. There's room for him to get there as other entertainers. Um, I do think it's a little early. So I would agree with that. And I do think there are other people who you can name as the king of pop. I love Bruno Mars. I do think that Bruno Mars has great music. Absolutely fantastic. Amazing entertainer. And I could agree that, yeah, Bruno Mars would be a good contender. So I think there are others out there. Whereas Harry Styles right now, just with the way that he he's trending, the way that he collects such a massive fan base. I do think that with that, there is, you know, a little bit more of an argument for him to be king of pop. But I do agree it's a bit early to settle on that kind of title. Justin Bieber, king of pop? <laughs> what what about what about the what about the person like behind the vast majority of pop songs? What about Pharrell Williams? Is Pharrell Williams, right? The actual king you could of pop? argue that, or is he the general of pop? Is he like the is he the, the yeah the general of pop music? Right, you could that could be an argument. I would also say even just an entertainer who's been around longer. Like if you want to say you're going to usher it in with the new century, so the 2000s, somebody who's been around since the early 2000s. So any kind of like you know, I'm going to throw the name out there, Miley Cyrus. Come on. The queen, the queen of pop? The Absolutely. queen of pop? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, her vocals lately have been insane. Definitely go listen to that if you can. Any of her live covers that she's been doing, incredible. Yeah, she's really been bringing yeah. it for years now in terms Absolutely. of those covers. I, I I mean, I'm sure our friends uh, who love Beyonce, the, 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 queen, yes. the queen, like she's actually Queen B. Yes. So she might be the queen of pop. Right. Katy Perry. Katy maybe. Perry. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Yes. Lady Gaga. That's. These are all really great contenders. So I do think before the Rolling Stone decides to just dole out this new title, there should be a little bit more evidence. I think I have a Rolling Stone magazine idea. What if we just did the pop royal family? Just right. laid out the entire pop royal family. There we go. There we go. The heirs to the throne, the princes, the <laughs> princesses, the the court gestures, which would probably be the insane clown posse. Probably. Although they're yeah. probably... <laughs> considered pop music. Uh, Grace, while we're talking about what makes somebody sort of the top of the pops, yep. so to speak, you got some data here in regards to who's actually making the cashola, who's making the quiche when it comes to the music tours. So this is the top 20 global concert tours from Polestar. So it ranks artists by average box office gross per city, and it also includes, which I can throw in, the average ticket price. Uh, for shows worldwide. Okay. So okay. do you want to give a guess at who's number one? So we did something similar a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and I and I and we all well, I, I I put you guys on the spot and the answer was U two. So I'm gonna yes. venture a guess that it's U two. It is not U two. U two actually isn't on the list. No. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um so I wonder who number one is. Can you give me a hint? Um I feel like I can't give you a hint without giving without it away. Totally giving it yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, also not on the also, list. Okay, maybe I will I'm give you out of touch. Here. I will give you number one. Number is, one is Paul McCartney. Okay. Makes seven million eight hundred fifty-three three hundred ninety-one dollars. 
per tour on average. Um, per concert, average ticket prices $232.81. Ooh, that's Harry Styles' prices yes. right there. And surprisingly, Harry Styles, number eight on the list, makes just over $2 million, just below $2.5 million per concert. Per with show. Average ticket prices of $89. I'm calling them out on this. That's not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one that surprised me was number 10. It's Queen and Adam Lambert. Okay. With just over $2 million, average ticket prices of $139. So it kind of surprises me that Queen and Adam Lambert is on this list, but not just right. Queen. Right, not just, not just Queen. Uh, Grace, can we, I know, I know list television is not always the most exciting thing, but if I promise to put a little bramble on each one, yep. can you just run, like, don't worry about the stats on it, but just give me like one through 10. So let's start 10. with number 10. Queen and Adam Lambert. Ba-ba! Number nine. <laughs> Dead and Company. Oh yeah, John Mayer being part of the Grateful Dead. Ba-ba! <laughs> number eight. Harry Styles. Harry Styles. Not the One Direction gang. Number seven. Kenny Chesney. Oh, man. She thinks my tractor's sexy. Number <laughs> six. The Killers. Oh, that's a bright side to that one. Number five. Def Leppard slash Motley Crue. Eh, pour that all over me. Number four. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. <laughs> Number three. Ed Sheeran. Oh, I like that one. I like the shape of that one. Number two. Coldplay. I mean, it was all yellow. And number one. Paul McCartney. Let those wings take flight. Grace, thank you for this. Of course. That's Grace Scofield with your entertainment report. Let's look ahead to this afternoon when Kelly and company hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Ramya Amuthan is the co-host of that show and joins us now with a preview. Good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. The king of pop. Who is it? Michael Jackson. The queen of pop. The queen of pop. Who is it? This is a hard one. I don't know. Uh, Britney Spears? No. You can stand no. for your girl Too Beyonce. Young. You can stand for your girl Beyonce if you want to. I know. You know, right? You know I want to say Beyonce for queen of everything. But. <laughs> queen, of, queen of all of us. We're going to kick out that Elizabeth and install Beyonce and away we go. Uh, Ramya, what's coming up on the show this afternoon? All right, we're talking to wellness contributor uh, Frances Wong, and she's bringing us what she calls Cannabis 101. Mm. So the what cannabis is, why it's being used, and how to use it safely. She's going to do all that on our wellness segment. Uh, the Ashkenaz Festival is one of the largest and most prestigious showcases of Jewish music and culture anywhere in the world, and we're going to learn more about the event. Uh, also, Lucia Belafonte on our parenting segment is stressing the importance of organizational skills, especially at a young age, um, if your child has disabilities, and as a parent with children who have disabilities, uh, she's going to talk about the importance of it and how to implement it in your life. Very good. Ramya, sounds like a great show. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good, Dave. That's Ramya Emuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, it's a very special edition of the News Quiz. Mike Ross will put myself, Mark Phoenix, and Alex Smythe to the test. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio, a very special edition of the News Quiz coming your way with Alex Smythe and Mark Phoenix. But it wouldn't be the News Quiz if Mike Ross wasn't playing the host.
Thank you very much, Dave, and welcome back to the news quiz. The quiz, the same as it always is. We've got three contestants, three rounds of questions, three questions per round, and each question comes with three multiple choice options. Now, if our contestants can answer the question without hearing those options and get it right, I'll give them two points. If they hear the options and get it right, they get one point. And if they get it wrong, we move along until that point is awarded. Let me welcome in our contestants for today. Alex Smythe is here. Hi, Alex. How's it going, Mike? Great. We've also got Mark Phoenix with us. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, everybody. And Dave Brown rounds out the contestant panel. Paul Daniel is uh, our producer, and he came up with our questions. He also spun that randomizing contestant wheel, and the order of presentation of our contestants is going to be the, uh, the order of round number one. So question one of round one is for you, Alex. Supporters of Shiite leader Muqtada al-Sadr stormed into which country's parliament last week to prevent the nomination of a new prime minister. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to need the choices on this one. I, I, okay. Somewhat familiar, but I, I, I want to confirm my answer. Your options are Iraq, Syria, or Bahrain. I believe it's Bahrain. That is incorrect. Mark. I think in this case, uh, it is Iraq. It is indeed Iraq. More than 120 people were injured as protesters breached the high-security green zone in Baghdad. Mark, on the board with the first point of the game. And, Mark, this is your question here in round one. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation has declared a Tier 2 water shortage for which river, reducing the amount of water provided to to users in seven U.S. states? Uh, I'm going to take a guess here. I think the river in question is the Colorado River. I love how you speculate, kind of beat around the bush around it, <laughs> knowing full well that he's getting two points. So congratulations. Uh, Arizona will face the largest restriction, losing about 20% of the state's yearly allocation of river water from the Colorado. So three points now for Mark. Dave, your chance to do a little damage here. Approximately 5,760 cases of which drink were recalled because of possible contamina contamination with a cleaning solution? Oh, dear. I need the options. All right, your options are Sunny D, Capri Sun, or Gatorade. If it's one of these, I'm very concerned because there is some uh, consumption in the world of Dave Brown. But my guess is going to be Capri Sun. That's a good guess, Dave. One point for you. That was a product that as a kid, I don't know, it, because it came in a package and it was before the era of drink boxes, we all wanted Capri Sun. Yeah. We, we couldn't yeah. have it. It wasn't available in Canada, but it was on all the commercials on Saturday morning cartoons. Man, and I still, to this day, 48 years old, and I haven't had a Capri Sun. I'm going to have to look into that. I could also uh, really go for some Sunny D. I could really go for yeah. some Sunny D. Gatorade's the one that, that makes it into my rotation, but man, I love me some Sunny that's, D. 
That's what I thought. I was when you said there was one of them. I thought it's got to be Gatorade. Uh, the recall affects the equivalent of about two hundred thirty thousand individual pouches of Capri Sun Wild Cherry. And if uh, you happen to have any, look for a best when used by date of June twenty fifth, twenty twenty three, on each six and six point six ounce pouch. So round number one comes to an end. Dave on the board with. One point, Mark Phoenix with three. Alex yet to get on the board. Mark, question number one here in round two is for you. Fernando Tatis Jr. has been banned for 80 games after testing positive for a performance-enhancing substance affecting the playoff chances for which Major League Baseball team? If you were listening to the sports chat earlier, Mark, you would know the answer to this. If I paid attention to sports at all, I'd know the answer to this, but I don't, so I'm going to need those options. All right, your options are the Oakland A's, the New York Mets, or the San Diego Padres. (laughs) None of the teams I would have guessed, so uh, let's go with the Padres. Whoa, nice guess. Four points. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, Tatis Jr. was the 2021 National League home run leader. Dave, sticking with sports, tennis player Eugenie Bouchard got quite a surprise in Vancouver for the Odlum Brown Van Open last week when she saw the photo on her tournament credentials, so the pass that she has to wear to get around the venue. What was wrong with the photo? Oh, I missed this completely. I need the options. It was a photo of someone else. She was wearing a bikini, or they had photoshopped her headshot. <laughs> you know, all of them seem uh, fairly possible. All of them seem fairly possible, but I think if one was going to raise the ire of mass media, it's probably her in a bikini. That is correct. Rather than the typical headshot, The photo used was from a 2018 Sports Illustrated shoot. Now, she laughed this off with her social media followers, got a new set of credentials with a more appropriate headshot, though lost in the first round of singles competition to Arian Hartono, 6-2-6-2. Dave with two points. Mark Phoenix with four. Alex, here's your chance to get on the board. Research involving a group of 200 Israeli veterans has indicated that which condition can be diagnosed via saliva samples? I'm going to need the options for this one. Your options are PTSD, CTE, or schizophrenia. Uh, I'm going to say PTSD. And you're on the board. Indeed. The researchers found that people with PTSD exhibited the same oral macrobiotic signature. So round three comes to an end. Everybody's got points. Alex with one, Dave with two, and Mark with four. Dave, nearly 50 years ago, Sashin Littlefeather suffered harassment and discrimination for protesting Native American treatment or mistreatment while receiving an Oscar on behalf of which actor who arranged to have her receive the award. If people were listening to Grace's Entertainment Report last week, they would know this. And of course, it's a huge cultural moment. It was Marlon Brando. That is correct. Another two points. Yes, 1973 Academy Awards. Little Feather took the stage on his on his behest or at his behest to decline the Best Actor Award. She had two promises to keep. 
not to touch the statuette and to keep her comments to 60 seconds or less. She did, and she's now being apologized to by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences for the unwarranted and unjustified reaction at that ceremony. Alex, in an attempt to distance themselves from controversial remarks made by Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling, three of the of what sport known as Quidditch announced they're changing its name. So what is the new name for Quidditch? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, options, please. Quidball, Quadball, or Witches? Uh, let's go with Quadball. You got it. Nice. Another yes. point for you. The sport uh, came to life in 2005 when college students decided to see how the magical game described in the Harry Potter, Potter books would play out in real life. Now, there are no flying uh, broomsticks in real life. They remain firmly on the ground riding three-foot lengths of PVC pipe, and they're going to make that name change official next year. Mark, what is the name of HBO's new Game of Thrones prequel series, which premieres? This past or premiered rather this past weekend. Well, it's been impossible to miss ads for it. It is House of the Dragon. Yes, two more points. That is it. He has secured it. Our winner today is Mark Phoenix. Way to go. Six points to Dave's <laughs> four. To Alex's two congratulations. Mike, I think this even Thank goes you. Be, I think this even goes beyond Mark being a winner today. I'm not sure if the stats got to you, Mike, but I think we have the overall standings here as we approach the end of the fiscal year. Did Paul send that uh, through? You know what? They came to me somewhere deep in this email box inbox okay. that has about six Mike, emails in it. Mike, you, if you can do a bit of digging here, uh, let's yep. filibuster for a moment because Mark, unfortunately, this is your swan, swan, or swan song on the news quiz. Um, you're moving on to new adventures. We are going to miss you dearly, but tell us a bit about <laughs> what you're up to here. What's, what's going on in the life of Mark Phoenix? Uh, you know, causing trouble in different parts of the world. Uh, no, I am uh, moving on to uh, bigger and better and nicer things. I'm moving to the beautiful province of Newfoundland with my brilliant, lovely wife, Deborah. Uh, we're going to be making a nice little home by the sea out there. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be reaching out from time to time to find out how people uh, back home here in Toronto are doing. And, uh, you know, maybe doing a little bit of my own sound operation out there. We, we shall see. Nice. Nice. Or T- here. Tell us a bit more. <laughs> tell us a bit more about, uh, about what life's going to be like on the rock for you. Oh, well, you know, it's going to be nice summers, not too hot. You know, just a couple of days of 30 plus here and there and long winters. But people from Newfoundland keep telling me that the winters here in Toronto are actually worse. <laughs> so while I might get more lifting in shoveling snow, I may not be quite as cold. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, that's an alleged rumor at this point. We'll see about that one. <laughs> OK, I, Mike, I think Andrika has sent in some of the official uh, final stats. I've, I've here. got the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the numbers here. Uh, So with that, from January to uh, this game here in August, Mark Phoenix with 10 victories, Karen McGee with eight, and Dave Brown 
with seven. We're bringing up the rear over here. Oh. Bringing up the caboose. Uh, so, Mark, but not only well. not only are you the champion today, but you are the champion of this particular fiscal year. I don't know if we have a crown to give you on the road, but listen, man, it has been such a pleasure working with you on the air and off the air over the last couple of years. We wish you and your wife and the cats all the best on your adventures out to the eastern provinces, and we hope that those icebergs and sharks treat you right. Oh, I know they will. And I'm going to miss, you know, spending time with everyone and being here every Tuesday morning, laughing it up and, uh, you know, having a good time with you all. I'm going to miss you. Yeah, we're going to miss you too, man. Uh, But Alex, I also want to sort of bring you in here. I, 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 I don't know if like the official word has gone out, but you know what? In the new year, in the new fiscal year, as of September the 1st, uh, especially after Labor Day, there's going to be a lot more Alex Smythe in our lives. So we're looking forward to have you jumping on board as a regular fixture on the show. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be an exciting time to kind of get my beak wet in the world of uh, now with Dave Brown and uh, explore a whole new medium avenue and uh, get to spend more time chatting with you, Dave. So that's always a positive. Well, we're pumped, man. We're going to get you into the mix over here for the next couple of uh, weeks and a couple of months. There's going to be a lot more Alex Smythe. And uh, Mike, just as always, an amazing job being our news quiz master. We appreciate it. You have yourself a great day as well. Thank you very much, Dave. That's Mike Ross. He's the news director. Mark Phoenix is our quiz champion. Alex Smythe is a bureau reporter for the Toronto TV Bureau and soon to be a regular member and regular fixture of the Now with Dave Brown family. That's all the time we have for the show today. Don't worry, though. We're going to be back tomorrow. We're not going anywhere. The show will hit the air at 9 a.m. Eastern time. You'll hear from a couple of your favorites. Anu Paula will stop by. She'll tell you about the importance of self-advocacy, especially as we head into a new school year, whether kids are heading into high school or university or college, or maybe you're starting a new job or a new gig. Self-advocacy, always an important thing to do. And then we'll have a little bit of fun with Jenny Bovard. She'll stop by a little bit later in the show. We'll talk about some of our interesting combinations and guilty food pleasures, including peanut butter, banana, and spinach sandwich. That is not my choice. 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.